remember the old Star Trek's opening line, to boldly go where no man has gone before? Well, hold that thought, because I need to warn you about something. So the thing that I'm trying to tell people is, things in space right now are not at the, it's dire, it's done, it's doomsday. We're not there right now. But it doesn't take, it's not rocket science, maybe it is, to like look at this stuff and it's easy, in my opinion, it's easy to predict that space becomes unusable at some point, maybe not five years, who knows? Space becomes unusable on the current path. That is for sure. So why not make the changes now? Why wait for something really, really bad to happen? When people say, when people say, are you going to wait for something bad to happen? I'm like, you mean something worse than Russia blowing up one of their own satellites and polluting a whole part of orbit just months ago? Like, how many, how many of these things do we have to wait to see happen? Did you know that currently we're keeping track of more than 50,000 objects orbiting the Earth at the relative speed of about 15 times faster than a bullet? So, should you be bold enough to go into space? Think of this. What if you, in your spacesuit, or your spacecraft, get slammed by one of these objects? Hey there, news peelers. Today is May 6th, 2022. And this is Adele, the host of the Peel.News podcast. Once a week, I have the pleasure of speaking with distinguished professors and critically acclaimed authors who help us better understand our news and current events by providing some perspective from our past. We call this peeling the history behind news. Sometimes we find humor in what they share, sometimes it's a shocker, and sometimes they reveal a past that's offensive. Regardless of what they share, we're always the better for learning from our intellectual and engaging conversations with them. So the Peel Dot News is not for everyone. If you want headline news, well, you know where to get that. But if you want to explore how we got here, if you want to journey into what happened before these developments showed up as news on our TV and device screens, then grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and let's get into it. There's so much going on in the news these days. For example, we have the crisis in Ukraine, the issue of abortion has flared up again, and this year's midterm elections are coming up. Amid all this news, I recently came across a Wall Street Journal article that made me do a double take. Listen to this. A four-ton Chinese rocket booster was anticipated to crash into the moon and expected to leave a 65-foot diameter crater. But here's the kicker. What made this news Wall Street Journal worthy wasn't the crash itself. Rather, that the crash was unintentional. Huh. Apparently, us humans have been crashing spacecraft into the moon for the last 60 years. And it's not just the crashes that matter. There's the massive human-made space debris, which is a safety hazard for astronauts and space tourists, and also an alarming environmental concern. By that I mean the environment in the space. 
To better understand this news and the history behind it, I spoke with Moriba Jaw, who is a well-recognized expert on this topic. He is an associate professor of aerospace engineering and engineering mechanics at the University of Texas at Austin. He's won numerous awards and has many accomplishments, too many to list here. To learn more about Moriba, visit his academic homepage, the link for which is provided in the detailed caption of this episode. And while there, click the link for his startup, Privateer, which he co-founded with Alex Fielding and Steve Wozniak, who, of course, is the co-founder of Apple. So, stay with me as Moriba and I peel the history behind this news. The Peel.News is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, we love your reviews and ratings of our podcast, especially on Apple and Spotify. And don't keep us to yourself. Tell a friend about the Peel.News podcast. Professor Jaw, it is such a pleasure to have you on our program. Thank you for taking the time for this conversation with me. Recently, I read in the news that Chinese space debris unintentionally crashed into the moon. How could this happen? I mean, <laughs> yeah, look, so, so uh, for starters, thanks for having me. Uh, you can just call me Morba. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, we launch a lot of stuff into orbit. Some of that stuff goes beyond Earth, just like this uh, Chinese rocket body. And, you know, statistically, one of these things is, is bound to hit the moon and uh, that happened. So, so uh, these things are actually more frequent than people realize. I mean, in 2019 alone, uh, I think four things impacted the moon. One was on purpose. So yeah, these things do happen. You, you just said one was on purpose, which brings me back to this news development that I'm sharing with you. The Wall Street Journal and a couple of other uh, uh, media outlets made a big point that this was unintentional. So it sort of like got away from them. So my first question on that is, does this happen intentionally? Do we intentionally crash debris, space debris into the moon? We intentionally crash stuff into the moon for the sake of science. What does that mean for the sake of science to see what happens? Is that it? Well, to, to basically, you know, um, one of the things that I'm actually recalling right now is, uh, you know, there was a satellite that was crashed into the moon at the end of its life or whatever, um, so that in the crash, the, the ejecta, the stuff that would come off of the moon as a consequence of the impact could be analyzed with uh, multiple instruments, hyperspectral or whatever, to kind of see what the real uh, content of the lunar regolith that came out in the ejecta uh, looked like. And so, yeah, uh, people did that intentionally to try to get some science out of it. I'm not saying that that's a great idea, uh, but yeah, I, I am saying that that's an example of something intentionally slammed into the lunar surface. 
and they're able to collect those particulates that sort of bounce up, if you will. I yeah, suppose just that's the see, purpose. Of right, just basically seeing how you know energy scatters off of these things, and that reveals something about you know the content of you know the particles and that sort of stuff. Um, the fact that the space debris from the Chinese device vehicle unintentionally crashed. Does that mean that they were somehow reckless inferior to other programs, U.S. programs? Or no, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that um, a, a consequence of being reckless uh, uh, or more reckless than any other, you know, country and that sort of stuff. It just means that the way in which we do business, launching stuff on orbit, many times junk is the product or byproduct of us doing stuff and rocket bodies are definitely numerous. And this just happened to be a Chinese one that slammed into the moon, but by no means is it just limited to, to China. And it takes a lot of energy to bring these things back and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's just a part of exploration. I mean, we've just, that's how humanity does stuff. We've just said, hey, part of exploration is we leave a bunch of crap behind. Um, and that needs to change. Have, has the US unintentionally crashed things into I'm sure moon. that's happened. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about space junk and, you know, uh, debris and intentional crash into the moon. Is there consequences to this? No. Uh, I mean, no, there are no consequences for this to date. I believe that there should be. Um, Maybe the best thing is to try to incentivize people to not leave junk behind. When you talk about Start consequences, there. I want to uh, make sure we're talking about the same thing. Uh, there's the environmental consequence and there's also the regulatory consequence. You're saying neither exists? So I'm saying environmental consequences, yes, there, 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 there are. I mean, we're basically okay. altering, we're altering another environment with anthropogenic input, human-made, human-derived stuff. Um, so that's littering. You know, yeah. uh, but from the regulatory perspective, that's where I'm saying there's no uh, consequence. I see. Uh, why don't we take a short break and then talk about more about the consequences um, of just letting things float around space? Do you believe in UFOs? No, seriously. Do you? I'm not getting all Star Trek on you. I would not even know the right Star Trek terms to use here. The reason I asked this question is because UFOs were big news last summer. If you recall, there were discussions in Congress about it and there were major congressional reports. Back then, in Season 1, Episode 21, I spoke with Professor Avi Loeb, who was the chair of the Department of Astronomy at Harvard University. What I found most interesting about that podcast conversation was Professor Loeb's claim that the scientific community is actually impeding rather than supporting their research into UFOs. The link for my talk with Professor Loeb is provided in the detailed caption of this episode. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Moriba. We talked about some of the consequences of uh, debris crashing into the moon and that's essentially changing its environment, impacting, you're trashing it. What about 
consequences of so much debris in space? So many, how many satellites are there, I guess? I don't even know. Yeah, so right now, I think across humanity, it's safe to say that we are keeping track of about 50,000 objects ranging in size from a cell phone to the space station. 50,000? Yeah, 50,000 total objects that we're tracking. Um, but of the 50,000, 5,000 work and everything else is garbage. What is that garbage from? I mean, I know it's from us, but what is it from? Yeah, so basically it's rocket bodies, it's dead satellites, it's pieces of satellites that have either collided or just through aging uh, deteriorated, uh, nuts, bolts, flecks of paint. Actually, the, the, going, going down to the nuts and bolts, uh, actually, you know, we can't track those things, but we hypothesize a number that ranges about, you know, several million. So if you go down to the things that we can't track, we're probably talking about several million things, but the trackable population is about 50,000. Wow, several million. Now, at what speed are these things orbiting around the Earth? So relative speeds when things are crisscrossing each other are about 15 kilometers per second. So 15 times the speed of a bullet. Um, so, you know, an, an object is space debris, size of a cell phone, as you were uh, indicating. So what if that cell phone object, you know, orbiting at 15 miles, kilometers per second, slams into a working space shuttle? It's done. Yeah, that, that's it's happened. Uh, no, no, oh. not not some not something that size. Uh, thankfully, um, thankfully, yeah, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, if, if something something that size, you know, hits, uh, you know, crude spacecraft or something like that, it would be a very bad day. But it seems like it's a probability, right? It's not zero. The chances are not zero. I'll put it that way. It's. The chances of that happening are low, but they're not zero. Okay, the chances are low. So astronauts going up in, in space, they're not living in fear of something like this happening. Well, I, I mean, I would be. Because the I, thing is, I some know. of this stuff, you, yeah, I mean, some of this stuff you can't, here, let me put it this way, right? You and I, we get on a plane. Uh, where, where, do you, where do you live right now? What I live in uh, Southern California. Okay, so man, I go visit you. And we're like, hey, you know, we should take a trip to Hawaii. Sounds good. Sounds great. You know, yeah, right. Sounds sounds fat, fabulous. You can almost feel, uh, you know, the, the Mai Tais and stuff coming. And so, so we're sitting in this plane and they give us the safety brief and they're like, hey, by the way, uh, you know, in case of changing in pressure of the cabin, you're going to see these masks drop down, put them on, blah, blah, blah. And oh, by the way, there may be a chance that a random piece of crap might just go and, you know, pierce, pierce the hull of, of the aircraft. Um, we, we can't, we can't predict. I mean, look, the chances are low, but we can't say it can't happen, but we wish you a safe flight. 
Well, Morba, I'm sorry. You're going to Hawaii by yourself. I'm not, Dude, I'm not getting on that plane. I'm not getting on that plane either. Right. So, so I, think, I think that's the thing that I'm trying to get across to people is they say, oh, okay, uh, you know, and I have friends that have already been up in Blue Origin, like Dylan Taylor and, 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 and others, George Neald here recently. And it's like, yeah, you know, all these people that are going up, it's not like taking a regular flight, man. It's like you're taking the flight and then there's this like, oh, there's a chance that, you know, something the size of a cell phone is going to come slamming into you and it's game over for you. Right. So that's what people are facing. Is this something that's openly discussed? Are they freaked out about it? I'm openly discussing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every chance I get. But yeah, I mean, this is not something that people are. This specifically is not something I've heard people really openly discussing, but that should change. Are there any regulations? Are there any, <laughs> any talks to regulate this? You're, you're telling me 50,000 stuff is, 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 is orbiting out there. 5,000 of them are functional, so we can sort of tell it what to do, I suppose. But you're saying there's actually probably several million, the nuts and bolts that you were talking about. So is anyone trying to regulate this? So the answer is people are trying to regulate it, but it's kind of slow and coming. And, you know, we do have treaties that establish international space law, but these are loosely interpreted uh, and implemented. So, and the people that are authorizing folks to launch, they need, they're the ones that need to actually, you know, write more stringent space laws and hold their own people ac accountable. And I think that's the thing that's missing. The, um, you know, when I talk to governments and ask them, why don't they do this? Off the record, they don't want to get in the way of their own economic and technological growth. They want to spur people to just launch as much as possible and that sort of stuff. And they don't want to get in the way uh, of that. But at the same time, I tell them, well, uh, to, what, to what end does it mean to not get in the way of that when it's to the detriment of our ability to use space eventually? So, I mean, you know, tragedy of the commons is almost certainly guaranteed if we don't change our behavior. So, uh, so yeah. But it, it, it actually falls on the responsibility on the shoulders of governments to do this stuff. When you talk to governments, do you approach them from the sort of environmental issues and detriment to Earth? Or do you approach them about their own safety? Hey, China's government, France, the U.S., Russia, there's actually a safety issue that your satellite is going to blow up. Which one do you think is more compelling and which one have you used? So I've used all of them. The more compelling one is the, how does it affect your bottom line and you being able to, uh, you know, make money or these sorts of things. That's the one that's the most compelling, but then there's like, okay, well, where's, where's the definitive proof that I better do something about this in the next five years. And the thing is, I can't, I can't show that, you know, the, the analysis does not show that something cataclysmic or whatever is going to happen in the next five years. But it's one of those things where here's what I can tell you, right? Um, let's say that you and I were sitting on the shores of a lake of potable water. 
Potable um, water. Okay. Yeah, potable water. And so each of us, we have our cup. When we get thirsty, we can just dip it in the lake and we know it's all good. We can drink it. It's almost like, I don't know, ambient or whatever. And, um, and then all of a sudden we see a duck land in the middle of the lake. Okay, nice duck. It's a bit away. Whenever I'm thirsty, I can still drink water. I feel comfortable. Now there's two ducks, three, a couple more. And you see that there's a flock of ducks like flying over the lake. How many ducks does it take to land on the lake before you start saying, I might not want to drink from the lake anymore? And there's so too much the message that I'm, duck poop in there, You know what I'm right? saying? Yeah. Right. So the thing that I'm trying to tell people is things in space right now are not at the, it's dire, it's done, it's doomsday. We're not there right now. But it doesn't take, it's not rocket science. Maybe it is to like, look at this stuff. And it's easy, in my opinion, it's easy to predict that space becomes unusable at some point, maybe not five years, who knows? Space becomes unusable on the current path. That is for sure. So why not make the changes now? Why wait for something really, really bad to happen? When people say, when people say, are you going to wait for something bad to happen? I'm like, you mean something worse than Russia blowing up one of their own satellites and polluting a whole part of orbit just months ago? Like how many, how many of these things do we have to wait? See happen. So when you say make changes, what sort of changes are you proposing? Well, for sure, I'm saying each country. So the Outer Space Treaty, um, many countries have signed up to that, and it's back from like 1972 or whatever. Uh, Article six of the Outer Space Treaty says that states party to the treaty are responsible for providing authorization and continuing supervision of the activities of space actors. And there is a convention on liability and damage that talks about uh, liability being borne by the state's party to that treaty. So if the responsibility really falls on governments and I don't know, Acme Incorporated can't just launch because they want to. They actually have to get authorized by a government to do so. Sounds like all the cards are in the hand of the government to say, do you want to launch your satellites and make money and have a great thriving business? If the answer is yes, here's a list of things that you have to adhere to. And if you fail to, then you will be prosecuted. Bad things will happen to you if you don't do these things. Do you agree or not? And if they say we agree, then start holding people accountable. So that's what I'm trying to get across is that governments are the ones that need to be making more stringent laws about stuff in space and holding the people that they authorize to do stuff in space accountable to those things and make that accountability transparent so that I, oh, you know, people in the U.S., I, I wouldn't mess with them. Look what just happened to so-and-so, right? That sort of thing. This sounds... Uh, this sounds too logical. What, what am I missing? I mean, you're just going, I'm saying, yes, yes, I'm trying to play devil's advocate and I can't. What am I missing here? You know, um, I mean, can't the US government and NASA say to Blue Origin, to, to SpaceX, these are the space sort of environmental issues that you have to check mark and comply with? 
voila, done. Who's going to say no to that? So, so you know, um, I here in the United States, part of the process is going through the FCC. The FCC does require companies to provide something to the effect of how they're going to mitigate debris and these sorts of things. But the FCC just doesn't have the staff or the resources to actually do the checks and balances for what they're provided. Um, and then even after the fact, there's no monitoring mechanism to make sure that people actually did what they said that they were going to do. Uh, and if they don't, what's the legal uh, path to prosecute them for not like none of that stuff is in place, man. It's never happened. There's like no precedence. So Why is this under FCC? Isn't FCC the Federal Communications Commission? Should I know, but the thing is, they have <laughs> they, they have they they have the latitude. And I, I mean, I, I've kind of looked at the legalese stuff, and you know, I'm not a real lawyer. I just play one on TV, sort of thing. <laughs> so, 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 um, when I read this stuff, my interpretation is that the FCC has the latitude to do what I just said because they can claim that it is in public interest that they can do that. So they're not being mandated by somebody. They've just taken it upon themselves to do this, which I think is in the right direction, but you know, to go down that path and not have the resources to like make it something that closes, uh, that's not so good. So I know you were in the military and I'm intrigued uh, about what you have to say about the US Space Force. Mm -hmm. Can they be a force for good in what we're talking about? Absolutely, I think. Look, I think all militaries can be a force for good if in the end they actually want peace and harmony. Like if that's a goal, I think that there's a lot of good that, that can be done there. And I would say uh, there's, there's, there's been no... There's been no domain of human experience that has been absent malicious behavior. And so when people were exploring land, right, uh, they would get ambushed and bad things would happen and, and, and that sort of stuff on the sea with piracy, you know. And one of the things that at some point governments have done is to provide some law enforcement and uh, basically providing, providing, let's say, security to their citizenry to make sure that these things either don't happen or, and, and are minimized. And so an example is like the Coast Guard. One of the things that the Coast Guard does is to protect the, the rights and, 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 and these sorts of things of U.S. citizens on the seas, on the waterways and that sort of stuff, right? Make sure that, that people don't get messed with, uh, you know, are, are, are intentionally harmed. I think that the U.S. Space Force, that should be one of its principal missions, is to make sure that citizens of, you know, the United States, uh, U.S. companies, you know, Elon, Jeff, that sort of stuff, when they're launching satellites or people, that there isn't somebody doing something nefarious and they don't even have to be from another country, right? They can be from, but basically protecting people from harm. I think the, the space force could do that. Have you 
have you talked to U.S. Space Force about this? No, oh, yeah, all the time. Then, then we we we're on a first name basis, man. No, seriously, are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, nice. I talked. No. And 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 have collaborations started with the scientific community in this, uh, even though the U.S. Space Force is in its sort of nascent stages? Oh yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, um, you know, scientific funding for the Space Force from day one was already in place and uh, and has been happening. That's not great. enough. My, not enough, in my opinion. Um, it could be a lot better organized, in my opinion. But yes, it has been happening. You mentioned Elon and Jeff. Have you talked to them? They don't Magic. answer the phones when I call, man. <laughs> <laughs> maybe after listening, I don't. To this you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm that person that has no caller ID or unknown number. But yeah, they don't. I'd love to have a conversation with them because I have so much to tell them and so much to share and so much to say. Hey, let's do some cool stuff together. You know. Um, you think they would want to talk to you for sure because of not only your your scientific background and the great work you're, that you're doing, but also because of your uh, your startup. So let's let's talk about that in the next segment. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. And if you are, then why not treat us to a cup of coffee? That's right. For the price of a cup of coffee, you too can become a monthly supporter of the Peel.News podcast. We rely on your support to continue this program, to continue peeling the history behind our news. Supporting us is easy. Just click the support link in the detailed caption of this episode. And while you're there, check out the information about our guests and other attributions and links. And thank you. Morba, tell us about Privateer, uh, your your startup. The, the name, by the way, is interesting. It makes me think of the age of exploration, where privateer ships were were both private and, and and you know also attached to the crown and monarch. They were doing both. So, um, and, and to that, I love. I, I we talked about this during the break. I love your um, landing page on your website. So, <laughs> go ahead, please. No, thank you so much. Um, so one of the things that I guess I, I see a lot of discord, suffering, these sorts of things across humanity. There's no argument about that, right? There's a war in Ukraine. Like there's just not so good things happening around the globe. And I think part of it is some people feel themselves to be independent and others that try to see themselves as independent are also trying to force and underscore, I'm going to call it uh, <clears throat> asymmetrical dependencies, meaning they want other people to depend a lot on them, but you know, th them have no dependence on, on the other people in, in, in some respects. And this kind of is uh, flies in the face of something that I hold as a foundational belief that all things are actually interconnected. So I believe that all things are interconnected and that we should all embrace stewardship as if our lives depended on it because they do. Those two things that I said, the interconnectedness and the stewardship are the foundation of privateer. And so 
the goal of privateer, even though we're doing stuff related to space, is can we, can we, in what we do, help humanity see itself, understand the interconnectedness between things, and motivate, motivate humanity to feel empathy and compassion towards the wicked problems surrounding the earth, climate change and all these things, but clearly space debris and stuff that we're talking about included so that we can get a positive action out of it and turn things around. That is the ultimate goal of privateer is to be a brother, sister, partner, collaborator amongst and with humanity to achieve that. Now, now more pragmatically, yeah, that sounds philosophical. So how do we actually put that into practice? Yeah. So in practice, yeah. So in practice, uh, foundationally, we are a decision intelligence platform. That's jargony. Decision intelligence, I'll define as the ability to manipulate data and information in such a way as to maximize desired outcomes. So can we, can we aggregate, curate, disseminate, uh, knowledge, information, data in such a way that helps space operators be safer on orbit, um, helps governments monitor, quantify, and assess who's compliant and who isn't with different rules, laws, and regulations, help ground-based astronomers understand the impacts of light pollution, light reflected off of these objects, and the detriment to astronomy and help predict when they should take observations and when it doesn't make sense, so on and so forth. So, so can we be this foundational level of knowledge that helps keep space safer, more secure, and more sustainable? And that's what privateer is in a more practical sense. So how do you do that? Do you, uh, you know, at the outset of this segment, I said you have the coolest landing page on your website. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a schematic of it's an animated schematic of the earth and there are all these dots. First, are those dots space debris? So those dots are everything from space debris to operational objects. So it's, it's all the above, yeah. Well, for people who don't, who don't think the problem is a big deal, you should just show them your website. That'll freak them out. You know, it, uh, some people say that I'm alarmist in the sense that the dots are just too big. They're not the right scale. And so it makes it seem a lot worse. Well, it doesn't um, matter if it's even a cell phone size, it'll still knock out a satellite, right? I know, man. And so, and so, yeah, I basically, uh, you know, the thing that the thing that I tell them is I haven't really found a way to get a pixel to be smaller than a pixel. If I can figure that out, then uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so does Privateer, which you've co-founded, does it, pinpoint the space to debris their path and provide that information to people who want to it's a startup it's not a nonprofit. so essentially provide that information for a fee to well, agencies that want it yeah so so the thing is um i'm 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 an and person and not an or person so what, what we want to do is we want to provide free information and provide information for a fee and it just depends on who needs it and what are they going to do with it? Uh, if they're going to profit from it, then maybe that's something that we charge for. If it's a researcher, then we're probably going to give them access to everything that we have just so that they can get some good science out of it. So we that's can do great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, are you what's are you in the early stages of privateer or are you at a point where you're already disseminating information and you're selling to clients? Where are you with this? Yeah, so so we're let's call it the early phases, you know, coming out of stealth mode at the beginning of March uh, with this partnership with Omega and which you can see, uh, you know, from the website. So the so everything that we put out there, we want it to be useful. Uh, that people can get a benefit out of that. And so you already see that with the way, Wayfinder is, is, is the name for this, this landing page, this app. But you, in the next six to 12 months, you're going to see more capabilities uh, and services being rolled out. Uh, things that build upon each other, like, like a Lego set. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Why Maui? Hence your 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 example. Are you and I have gone on vacation together to Hawaii? Yeah, why is it in Maui? Yeah, so look, um, basically, you know, my other co-founders, right, are Steve Wozniak and Alex Fielding. Uh, Alex lives on Maui. Um, I used to live on Maui, but I still have property on Maui. Maui is home, uh, always be home for me. Oh, um, but this idea of interconnectedness and stewardship is one of the uh, one of the salient qualities of native Hawaiians as indigenous people. And so those are the roots, man. I mean, the roots, the roots of this stuff is in, in these kind of qualities, these, this traditional ecological knowledge, the knowledge that indigenous people have regarding interconnectedness and stewardship. Those are the roots of privateer. So it has, um, does it have anything to do with better uh, vision of space uh, that it does. You're shaking your head. Absolutely. Uh, nodding. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, how, how do you see space crowdedness with all this debris 10 years from now? Let's say all the work that you're doing, unfortunately, comes to naught for, for the several subsequent years. How do you see this trajectory? Yeah, I see it ending badly for services and capabilities we have today. Like, um, you know, we're trying to get global internet through satellites. Um, we have Earth observation. The data that we can get about what's happening in Ukraine is uniquely provided by satellite systems. Yeah, nothing, yeah. Nothing is guaranteeing that these things are going to work if they get slammed by a piece of junk or whatever. So, so a lot of the, the technology and the knowledge, humanity knows more about humanity and the planet because of satellites than any, than any other type of, of, of information source. That could go away because we, we aren't holistically and jointly managing this finite resource and treating it like an ecosystem kind of thing. So I think that is likely if nothing changes. Do you think besides disruption of these vital services, such as those that you were telling, telling me about in, in sort of intelligence services for that are helping Ukrainians now, are there any other consequences for us back on earth earlier in a different segment, we talked about consequences about moon and what have you. How about us? I'm being selfish here. <laughs> you know, how is this going to impact us? Yeah. Well, so, so I'll say this. I mean, other services that I didn't mention are things like position navigation and timing, uh, which so many apps that we use use all the time, you know, shipping stuff and 
just us getting from point A to point B, uh, accountability of, of different processes, financial transactions are timestamped with you know space-based uh, timing systems, communications and stuff. So all these things are really in jeopardy uh, if we lose the ability to use certain orbital highways. Let's take a break here. Stay with me and Moriba as we get into the perspective. Did you know you can preview our podcasts? That's right. Just click the podcast highlights button on our website, www.thepeel.news, and we will email you each episode's highlights and relevant links to news and history for free. Pretty cool, right? Moriba, was the news of this unintentional crash of the Chinese de debris into the moon a significant event in your community? I ask this because for, for us lay people, it was a big deal. You're like, wow, how could this happen? I think uh, it was significant to me. It's just another sign of how we are engaging in exploration, which is the yeah, we'll, we'll send stuff up there. Some of the stuff that we send up is useful, but in the process of putting something useful, we're going to put a bunch of useless stuff up there that's just going to kind of litter and pollute the rest of the solar system. We just, we shouldn't do stuff that way anymore and we need to change. And um, it's kind of like, you know, people say, if you, you're a good camper, you what you pack in, you pack out kind of stuff. Of course. I mean, that should be the way that we do things. And, um, you know, when we, if we went, if you and I went to Mars right now and, um, assuming everything was fine, we make it to the surface, you and I are going on a walk on the red planet. What are, what's the evidence of humanity on Mars? It's trash, man. It's broken heat shields. It's parachutes flopping around in the Martian wind. It's rovers that are dead that now we call monuments, right? Because when stuff dies, we just call it a monument. Therefore, it's not trash anymore. That just can't be the way that we continue with exploration because um, it doesn't scale. It's to the detriment of the environment. Like we can do better. And so I want to challenge, I want to challenge humanity to do better. Is, is any of this debris collectible? Can we go essentially to a trash pickup? You know how you go on the beach with your fork and you start doing that. We're going to the Glacier National Park in Montana and, and a lot of that happens over there. Actually, I've done it before. So um, can you do that? You can. I mean, it's really expensive to try to bring it back, which is one of the things that people say, oh, well, if we had to do that, then we just wouldn't send it. Well, that's your knee jerk reaction. We can be smart. We can be resourceful. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears in this sort of uh, as we come close uh, to the close of our podcast uh, and talk about you. You have this super cool career. Uh, how did you, I don't want to go through all of it. Uh, I just want to know, how did you select this specific field? Um, it chose me, man. It chose me. Look. How um, so? Tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when I finished high school, I enlisted in the Air Force. My job was to guard nukes in Montana. 
you know, you're going to Glacier. There you go. Big, big sky country. And when I was, I'd never been in a place with skies so dark in my life. And actually, one of the things that I've realized. But beautiful man, dark, right? Beautiful dark. And the thing that I've realized is that most of humanity has never seen a really dark sky, which is sad. Because um, with, with, with city lights, you barely see the moon uh, at night, man. Uh, most of humanity has no idea really what the rest of the universe looks like to the naked eye, which I think is sad. And I think actually serves to disconnect us from the rest of the universe. I think that's a, that's a consequence, but I digress. So I'm in Montana. It's at night. First time that I'm in a place with the sky so dark. Cause I grew up in Caracas, Venezuela, lots of city lights. Oh, wow. And I'm that's yeah. That's a big change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? And so I'm looking at the sky and I'm like, it's one of the first times in my life that I felt so unalone. I looked and I'm like, this is what people hundreds of years ago experienced was being able to look at the sky and it's peppered with other worlds, stars. It's populated. It's populated. I looked at the sky and I said, the sky isn't just this vacuum. It's populated with stuff everywhere. Did you not feel alone or did you feel frightened? That is so vast. And you're in fact alone. Which I, I felt in company. I felt because the thing is, you know, Mother Nature doesn't do one-offs. I've never seen Mother Nature do things by fluke. So it's like, if this exists here, this has to exist elsewhere. Um, and and because that makes sense to me. And so I felt connected to the universe. But the interesting thing is I saw dots of light go across the sky that weren't planes or meteors. There were satellites. How did you uh, know? How did you know they were meteors? Were you in the Air Force? Were you trained? No, no. So so the thing is. You know, shooting stars or meteors, they go by very quickly. And uh -huh. just the, right. the way that they behave, I'm like, it's not that. Yeah. Clearly knew it wasn't a plane. So I'm like, what else could it be? And this is when I started doing some research. And my hypothesis was, okay, it's some human-made object reflecting sunlight. So it's, a, it's, you know, it's a shuttle or whatever. And it, I turned out to be right. And every once in a while, the dot would disappear in the middle of the sky. That freaked me out. Cause I'm like, is this God trying to talk to me? Is this a UFO? <laughs> How does, under what circumstance does this dot of light going across the sky just disappear? It freaked me out. I investigated that a little bit further and found out these were satellites that were going through Earth's shadow. They were, the sun was shining on them. They went through Earth's shadow, no longer reflecting light. And so they disappeared and um, to my naked eye and that moment, I'm like, I need to. And that's how I started, you know, got into astrodynamics, which, you know, science of motion of stuff in space was just because I was a security guard watching dots of light going over missile silos, man. You had a lot of time to think. I had and a lot had, of time to think. And you had this big window to space that most of us living in, uh, you know, urban areas or suburbia don't get to see. That's a wonderful exactly. story. Yeah. Um, and how did the startup come about? I mean, how did you go from academia to startup? That's a whole, that could be a whole podcast episode. If you can give me the, like the Cliff yeah. Notes version yeah, of so that. The Cliff Notes are like this, man. It's like, I've been doing research in this stuff for a while. And, um, you know, the first person to contact me was actually Alex. And uh, he basically reached out. He says, hey, I've been following your career for about 10 years, seeing what you've been doing. Do you mind having a conversation about 
Where do you see, you know, similar questions that you have. The junk, the traffic, what are the problems? Why hasn't this stuff been solved? What would you, so, you know, pick my brain for about an hour or so. Uh, then I said, we said our see you laters. Um, and then months later, he's like, yeah, so I followed up on all this stuff. I was pretty skeptical, but you actually were right about all of it. And look, you need to be a part of this. Let's do this. And uh, I couldn't say no. Of course, that is a super cool story. If you wanted our audience to remember just one point after everything we've talked about, just one point about human activity in space, what would it be? I think the point is that when we believe ourselves to be interconnected and we actually embrace the idea of being stewards of stuff instead of owners of stuff, we behave differently. And the outcome of our behavior when we embrace stewardship is sustainability. And it's our ability to actually thrive for long periods of time. And I think that's what we need. And only, only empathy and compassion can bring that uh, embracing of stewardship to actually happen. Hallelujah. Moriba, thank you so much for educating me and our listeners. You're welcome back to the Peel.News anytime. And to our listeners, if you know of any history that could provide more perspective from the past on this subject, please share it with us and tell us what's your perspective. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. The opinions and statements of our guests are their own. We neither agree nor disagree with them. We're only interested in the perspective they provide through history. At the Peel.News, we're honored that our guests share their expertise with us, most of which are based on years of scholarship and research. And we provide links to their projects and publications for your benefit, to review them if you wish. Otherwise, we're not affiliated with our guests. We just think they teach us pretty cool history the history behind our news. Also, unless we explicitly inform you, we're not affiliated with any institutions, including Amazon, for which book links are shared here from time to time for your convenience. Finally, as a reminder, we don't do news here at the Peel.News. We peel the news for the history behind it. And our mission is not to provide a complete account and analysis of the past, rather is to highlight some issues and incidents in our history that may poke and prod your discerning minds into seeking some perspective to our news. And if you disagree with our take on history, well then, it means we've succeeded in getting you to think about the history behind news. And of course, share your thoughts with me by leaving your comments about this episode right on our homepage at www.thepeel.news. Just click the email icon in the lower right corner of your screen. I love to hear from you. I love to learn from you. Until next time, this is Adele, the host of The Peel.News.